Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is my great pleasure to welcome Alex Kane to the show. Welcome, Alex. Thank you for having me, Jeremy. Alex is a senior strategic account executive and team lead at Samsara. They are an IoT, Internet of Things company focused on building technology to create connected operations. Uh, You probably know them from the transportation and logistics world, but they are so much more these days. I've been asking leaders about who their top AEs are, and Alex's name came up. So congrats on being nominated. Thank you very much. I didn't realize that was how I got here, but I'm, I'm flattered. That is how you got here. And I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and uh, it looks like you deserve it. I, last year, what were you something like probably 300% above quota? That's pretty insane. Well, we, I always like to get to know people. And when we were chatting before pressing record, you mentioned that you got a lot of quotes you live by. What is the quote to end all quotes? Like if you could just have one to live by, which one would you use? I love that I have an answer for this right off the top of my head. I already know what my one quote to live by is, and it's actually a John Wooden quote. My dad went to UCLA during the Wooden years, and he raised me on the the pyramid of success. So the one that I live by is, things turn out the best for those that make the best of the way things turn out. And the way I interpret that, Jeremy, is that we're all challenged with difficult situations, and there's only one thing you can guarantee. 5 to 10% of the room is going to deal with it better than everyone else. And I always strive to be in that 5 to 10% of every situation, even if it's difficult. Find the silver lining, right? Is, and go into it with a positive mindset about, the, about outcomes. Yeah, it comes in handy when they change the comp plan. <laughs> I, I love to understand what the best practices are of top reps, what they do, what they don't do. Before I ask you about you, I'd I'd love to turn to some of the great folks that you have worked with. One thing that would be super interesting is you did a pretty big career switcheroo from the looks like graphic design world, marketing and graphic design world into sales. So you must have run into somebody at that first sales job you had at Rebel Systems that you learned from and and have continued to leverage their wisdom. I'm, I'm curious if you've got someone back from Revel that was an inspiration to you? This is a great question. And I talk about this quite often. I have a unique background. I went to art school. I got my Bachelor of Fine Arts at University of Arizona while I played water polo there. When I got out of school, uh, I wanted to be Don Draper. I really thought I was going to make Super Bowl ads that were going to change the world and just make people want to eat Doritos. And I realized that marketing is somewhat sales without commission. I never really got the the motivation in that career it was very gray and sales is very black and white. You win the deal, you don't win the deal. You have a quota, you hit it, you don't hit it. And it became very clear to me that I needed those types of structures to the things that motivate me and drive me to work as hard as I like to work. So when I was about 25, 26 years old, I did a serious career shift because I knew that if I didn't rip the bandaid off and jump headfirst into this world of tech sales, that I grew up in the Bay Area it was everything out here. All my friends were having success. I wanted to have a piece of that as well. And when I got to Revel, there was a guy there named Justin Shong, who was the VP of sales at the time. And he took a risk on me. I had no sales background. I didn't have any cold calling history. And he hired me as an ADR at their company. 
and gave me the opportunity to prove myself. And I think that there's a piece of me that still today has a chip on my shoulder, which is I didn't come from a background that was destined to be a sales rep. I didn't go to business school. I didn't get my MBA. I'm a self-taught in the streets sales rep who really cut his teeth through practice. And I find that I describe hustle as doing the things no one else is willing to do. Because if everyone could do it, everyone would be a hustler. And so at Revel, what I learned from him was, if you want this opportunity, you have to take it for yourself. There's no one who's going to hand you deals, hand you opportunities. And I very quickly identified that there was a room for growth in outbound sales at Revel. Everyone was on the inbound line taking the calls. No one was out on the streets and doing the outbound. And I became their on-the-streets, grassroots sales rep. And so I just started walking the streets of San Francisco, the streets of Palo Alto. I made relationships with PayPal, and they sent me to Omaha and Portland and Austin. And I would create momentum in these cities. And I realized that one of my greatest sales skills is my personality and face-to-face capabilities and just talking with people, being a human to human. And I think that Justin does that extremely well. And it's not something that most people would pick up on as a great sales skill because it's not something that's tangible. And I related to him on a human level and really understood that what he was giving me was a chance to shine. And I felt that that was the most important thing I could do for him. When you were in ADR, were you mostly handling inbound response? Or even then as an ADR, you started the outbound motion? Pure outbound. I look at it like a video game. For a while, I was dying on level two over and over again. And eventually, I learned how to master level one, two, and three. And those skills have given me great success throughout my career. And I I always describe to other people, there's two types of sales reps, reps that once were in ADR and reps that were never in ADR. There's those two types. What is the distinction later on in their career? Survival skills. You have a baseline capability to feed yourself when there is no food on the table. Those who were not ADRs or SDRs have, I would presume, obviously have a much, much harder time self-prospecting. Asking them to go back to level one and do that again, they've never actually done level one. That's an unfamiliar space. Do you continue to do any, because now you've moved up the ranks from SMB to mid-market to enterprise, now strategic accounts, right? The top accounts that your company, that Samsara focuses on. Do you still self-prospect? I still do a good amount of work with my ADR. I wish I was able to make more direct cold calls. I actually do love it. And that's been one of the hardest transitions as I've scaled up to the strategic role is letting someone else make all those outbound cold calls. And I look at it as two brains, four hands. So he's a extension of me and we we craft our outbound campaigns together, but I let him do the heavy lifting. But I still do get to talk with our ADRs and AE1s and AE2s who are making those calls and giving them advice on what was successful for me. And I do know that there will most likely come another point in my career where I, I get back on those phones again and uh, create and drive some revenue. You mentioned co-crafting outbound campaigns. What's an example of a recent campaign that you've run and, and what are some of the characteristics of that that are, are your special sauce? My greatest failure is when someone feels that this email was sent to everyone in the world. So I really like to put my own voice into everything I write and I am okay with going slowly to create authenticity. I make it very spoken word and conversational. I pretend as though my first email to you is a longtime friend who we are reconnecting with. I want it to start off with a level of 
this person is a human being and is writing to me in a very direct way. And that is why I get so many responses. And then my responses to those emails, my steps, my cadences, they're all built around continuing the conversation and keeping it going, even though no one's speaking back, filling that void of silence with more conversation. That's something that I didn't expect my ADR to necessarily know how to, to create himself. So we share some docs and we write them up and I, I want him to have that same tone so that when the handoff occurs, it is as if there's one single person moving through this conversation because it's so connected between him and me. I don't know if this is quite a trend, but it's something that's definitely been on my mind lately because I've seen a few companies do this where the ADR serves almost in more of a research capacity. So they will you know, research the accounts, like map out the accounts, find the contacts, load them up into cadences, but then they're loading for you, the rep, to execute as opposed to them with the premise that, right, if you're calling folks, if you get someone on the phone, right, rather than the ADR getting someone on the phone, you're going to be able to kind of hook much sooner. That is a, a direction we're all heading, or is that just contextually relevant in some segments and not in others? I think that it's contextually relevant in some segments. It's about the size of the account book and how many people you're going after. If you're going after 10 accounts, yeah, absolutely. Just get me in the door and give me some information and I can run with it from here. When you're going after hundreds of accounts, it needs to be even more organized so that we most efficiently use our time in the day. But I do think that the research is the most important part. And my ADR has come up with incredible things. And I, I really encourage him to be a sleuth on the internet and find those articles and make those connections of the dots. You know, someone at our company is friends with the CEO of a company that I'm going after. I didn't catch that. That level of attention to detail means a lot to me. Going back to your the campaign you were talking about, kind of building this continuous conversation and filling the conversation void as they're not replying. I would assume that you're trying to legitimately add value along the way. What are some of the things for the customer base that you prospect into that they would consider a value add? Yeah, I have this one line I use regularly, and it's the shortest email you can ever send. It's, when I saw this, I thought of you. And you put in any link that matters to you and them. And it can be a blog, it can be a webinar, it can be a article online, but it comes through in the right way. Because if you're not thinking about them, why do they need to talk to you? just like you're sending it to a buddy. How often is that something that is Samsara content versus content, third-party content? A lot of times it is Samsara relevant because we've yet to develop that relationship where I'm telling them about other things in their world. So a lot of times there'll be a similar customer who filmed a testimonial for us that it's from the same industry. And I know that this is going to be interesting to them. They probably even know this customer. So I send it to them for them to hopefully geek out on it as much as I did. Got it. Well, the other thing I wanted to rewind back to that you mentioned was this creating momentum in cities. So walking the streets of Omaha and so on. Were you literally walking the streets and, and knocking on doors or, or is it sort of metaphorical? So they had a partnership going with PayPal and PayPal was going to buy anyone an iPad who set it up with PayPal Pay. And at the time, the reps were being paid on total contract value. So taking the iPad out of the deal was killing their ability to reach quota and, and get commissions. So nobody wanted to take the PayPal leads and I took all of them and they wanted me to go to towns where they had offices. So we went to Omaha where they have an office and I got to work with the PayPal team and I'm flying solo. And this is January 2nd to January 14th. And one day hit negative 31 degrees. 
and I put on all three pairs of pants I brought. I had double beanies, two beanies, and I've got a head of hair, you know, it's not like I, I can't stay warm. And it's that cold. And I just went door to door, spoke with business owners, invited them to a pizza shop that uses our system, bought all the beers and the pizza, set up my demo stations and had about 75 people to my one and was just working the, the crowd, getting them interested in the system, taking down emails and then following up on all that business. And the momentum that's created by everyone seeing their peers doing something similar to themselves is amazing. And that's why we use case studies in our world is to say, hey, there's someone else like you who's doing this. Rarely is it everyone who's on the same block you'd operate business-wise on. So you're at Revel and they do payment systems, point of sale payment systems for uh, for businesses. You move to uh, another you know, well-known tech company, uh, Cisco Meraki. Were you at Meraki before Cisco picked them up? Right after they got picked up. And there's actually a funny story for any recruiters out there of how I, I got from Revel to Meraki, which is the recruiter at the time who, who reached out to me, her name was Katie Pizza. And at the time I was selling into restaurants and things like that. So the first thing I started doing was researching Katie's Pizza locations to see how many locations of Katie's Pizza are out there. And turns out it's not a pizza shop. It's a recruiter at Meraki. And she, she got through my, my wall of uh, you know attention. And I took the, the interview with them because we were actually selling Meraki access points with our solution. Compared to the other access points that we were using to run our platform, it was night and day how much better our system ran on a Meraki network. So I understood the value of their product and the quality of their product. And it was the only interview that I took in a two and a half year period while I was at Rebel. And I was just blown away with what they were accomplishing and where they were going with their future of building a full stack. Because at the time, they were access point only. When you got there, was did you feel like you were part of the gigantic Cisco machine or did it still feel intimate? They definitely have a unique culture there. They've got their own office. They're a little bit of an island in the, uh, the Cisco world. And it felt very startup-y still. And over the, the course of my time there, by all means, I, I learned the way of Cisco. And it was definitely a jarring switch to go from a smaller startup that I had been employee you know, 45 at growing into the 500s with to a larger company with thousands of employees worldwide that had so much infrastructure. And what was great for me was my career started at Revel as a plucked out of obscurity and given an opportunity. And it was very much self-taught because when you go to you know smaller startups, you're not surrounded by people with massive amounts of sales experience to learn from. A lot of people are early in their career and you're all just figuring it out together and, and working your hardest. When I got to Cisco, that was when I first started meeting certain sales leaders that began to shape me and show me the right way, not just a way. What AEs or sales leaders personified that Cisco way of selling? When I think back on my Cisco world, there is the Meraki group of people who I was working with directly. And there's so many sales leaders there that just are incredible. And a lot of them are now with me at Samsara. So one of the reasons why I went from Meraki to Samsara is the people like the Andy McCalls of the world and Rob Carson, Ben Dickinson, these people who were my leaders and my peers at Meraki began to migrate over to Samsara. And I very quickly was wondering, what's going on over there that's making all these people that I respect so much take a risk with their career? Because I think that Cisco Meraki is great. 
And what I'm starting to learn is that as you get later in your career, you're not searching for jobs from that are good. You're going from a great job to another great job. And it becomes a much more comfortable transition because the opportunities that are out there, the only reason these people are going to them is because it is such a great opportunity. If you look at kind of the system, you know, called Alex's system for being successful in enterprise selling or just selling in general, what are some of the best practices you live by? And I'm also curious, what are the things you consciously decide not to do? I find that my technical aptitude is my customer's most favorite thing. As much as we have sales engineers in our world, I, I believe that sales engineers are there to help people who aren't able to walk and run on their own quite yet and to help ramp the sales team. But the goal of every sales rep should be to be autonomous, to be able to sell their product to its fullest extent by themselves without the, the resources. So I spend a lot of time power using my products. Every product I've ever had, I'm a personal user of. I get as much of it in my hands as possible. I set up my own sandboxes. I want to know it inside and out. And then I use my product to sell my product. So any chance I get, for instance, Samsara makes a GPS tracking device for vehicles and AI dash cameras. When I go on territory trips and rent a Ford F-150 or whatever I'm cruising around in for the trip, I bring one with me. I set it all up right there in the, the parking lot of the hotel. I put my dash camera up, I plug it all in, and then I've already pre-built every single route that I'm going to run for that trip from airport to hotel, hotel to customer, customer to lunch site, back to another customer, back to hotel, back to dinner. Everything is pre-planned, and then I use the system that has the capability of doing text message arrival alerts. So when I get five minutes away from my customer, they get a text message that says, Samsara is amazing. Alex will be there in five minutes. And then they have a tracker on my vehicle like Uber. And every single person I walk into the front door on goes, how did you do that? I've already sold my product before I even open up my computer. Why talk about something when you can show it? Yeah. Oh, that's, that is amazing. And it, I would assume you know, it, it gets at rapport is like, then you don't talk about the weather. You don't talk about this, that. What you actually talk about is the experience that they had as a prospect with those notifications, with that tracking and so on. Exactly. It's very powerful. And I think that's maybe going back to just uh, having a creative background. I'm constantly thinking of how the show is going to look. Yeah, I guess, uh, although you must have won almost every deal to get past 300% of quota last year, but I'm sure there must have been one that got away. What was the root cause when you look back on it? It became about price and not value. It's the reason why every deal gets lost. You no longer have them looking at the product and comparing it to other things based on technology. And now you're living in this world of discounts and deadlines to receive certain discounts and there's more pressure involved. And in the end, it's no way to start the relationship by bending somebody's arm behind their back to sign a PO. It needs to be something you want to do. And I always say to customers, and I've been told this by many customers, if, you, if you're deciding between two companies and two projects, which one's going to be more successful? And it's whichever one you invest your time into. You have to be a part of this for this to be successful. There's no technology that does everything for you. If you could do it over again, how do you think you could have, or could you have gotten, and it's not the buyer, it's because it's probably five or six plus people, right, involved. How could you have gotten them into a different mindset, into a more value-driven mindset? I think that the decision makers were allowing their operations team to run the project and make the decisions. In the end, they were only seeing the price tags on the quotes. 
And so I think that I could have brought the ownership in as personal users. So instead of expecting them to say, hey, here's technology you're never going to interface on a day-to-day basis, your ops team will, let's get you using it. I would have probably pushed for them to put dash cameras in their children's vehicles, cars, and get them to actually understand it on a more personal level that fits their own mindset better than this is technology my company is going to use that I'm never going to use. I love the sort of orchestration of show thing. What are some of the things that you do later on in the sales process? So, so often we talk about early stage prospecting, but we don't often talk about sort of the middle of the op, right? I would assume there's initial enthusiasm sometime in the middle of the op. You need to sustain the level of, of energy and enthusiasm. And then when you're getting close to the close, things are progressing, things are in legal review, like you're negotiating. What are some of the things you do to keep the deal, to keep momentum on the deal in, the, in sort of those middle, middle stages? Yeah, it's a very important area of the, uh, the process. And what I think about mostly is asking them to do things for themselves versus asking them to do things for me. And everything I'm going to come to you with in this stage is going to be a benefit for you and nothing for me. So I think a lot of people are doing the, oh, I need to fill out my, my notes on this account. Can you send me who reports to who and give me your information on subsidiaries? And it's me asking something of you that's purely for me. Instead, I make it about what's going to benefit them. This is a project that we want rolled out by June 1st. The only way we're going to make June 1st happen is if we're actually starting installs by this date. That gives us three weeks before installs. I want to help build a template that you guys are going to use so that when installs come, it's purely plug and play. But realistically, what I'm doing is keeping momentum going on my trial, but I'm giving them a reason of why this is benefit for them, not a benefit for me. So it's not, hey, we got to have that trial call because we haven't had our weekly cadence. That's a me thing. It's this is going to be a great project because we're building a template. Your template's only 50% done. Let's get that ironed out so that we can make this a smooth process, which is going to save your team time, blah, 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 blah. And I want them to constantly be moving their process forward, but seeing how that's going to be a benefit for them and not just doing work for me. You, you also mentioned sort of keep things moving along. I'm curious whether or not you rely at Samsara or you personally on a mutual success plan. Is that something that you, that you, you, know, you build with the customer and, and discuss every time you meet? How, how do you approach mutual success plans? It's definitely something a lot of people do. I, I don't do it. I want this to be a relationship. I always say, if you talk to them like your friend, they'll become your friend. If you talk to them like your boss, they'll become your boss. And I find that those mutual relationship goals are boss talk, and it will create a relationship where this is, it's fine to be strictly business. It's not okay for it to be rigid and uncomfortable. So I try and really break down all these traditional walls, and I find it much easier to create a project that has flexible timelines for your benefit. And then once I prove my value, I bring it forward as quickly as I can. You warned me before we, we recorded that, like, you didn't use the word Ben Franklin, but I will use the word Ben Franklin. Like, you have a Ben Franklin-esque expression for, for all of the philosophies that guide you. So I, I, really, I really enjoyed our chat. I know, you know, Samsara had an insanely great year as last year, and you had a great year. So I assume you guys are expanding. If people want to find out about opportunities at Samsara or get in touch with you, what are the best ways for them to do that? 
Absolutely. Um, we have a great website with a careers page that's constantly up to date. Applying through any way is always applicable, but on LinkedIn, our employees are all very active. So you can reach out to us on LinkedIn and shoot us a quick note. We love talking about why someone should want to work at Samsara and what the big picture is. I think a lot of people can mistake a company like Samsara as technology that goes on tractors and trucks and dumpsters. And it's not exciting or fun. And what they're missing is that we actually are doing some really incredible things that connect data in ways no one's ever quite seen before. And what we're really trying to do is create efficiencies and streamline in the areas that create our economy. What drives our economy? How do we get food on our tables? All the things that go on underneath our world, the manufacturing, the operation, the industrial space, it's not that it's just not going anywhere. It needs to scale at the way we're scaling. And they're still using very archaic infrastructure that is built on old technology. And so when we show up and bring just a fresh new hat to the same idea, it's about making people's life easier and simple. So if you love simplicity and you love selling solutions that are driven by ROI and optimization and things like that, this is an incredible place to work. It's just technology that most people don't interact with on their personal day to day. Well, again, Alex, thanks so much for being on. Thank you so much for having me, Jeremy. This was a blast. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.